This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 303, and today we are talking about books being released on March 23rd, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia LZ Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Patricia! Hey, Lib! How's it going? It's going well. I got my second vaccine shot this morning um, when we're recording this, so I'm very relieved about that. Yeah, that's very exciting. I'm so happy for everyone. And jealous, super jealous. Here in Maine, we're a little behind, although my husband, who is many years older than me, can now get his, and I still cannot. (laughs) So I'm glad at least he's getting his. Yeah. And my friends, it's going to be great. Pretty soon, we'll all have it. It'll be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to canceling plans again. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I know gonna be awesome no i'm looking forward to like seeing my friends and stuff yeah definitely definitely i haven't seen my mom in since well since 2019 october and yeah goodness it's a thing so yeah but moving along here in um in my area so we'll see how it goes so you are the final host for the listener question segment of the 300th anniversary celebration which episode anniversary it hasn't been 300 years it feels like it's been 300 years this last year um the 300th episode we're on episode 303 now and so i'm gonna quiz you not really quiz you but i'm gonna ask you some listener questions at the the end of the the show and before that we're gonna talk about books which is gonna be really fun and before that we're gonna hear from a sponsor Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. 
So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm going to kick it off today with this fabulous novel that I read. I was really excited because I read this knowing nothing about it. It's The Ladies of the Secret Circus by Constance Sayers. And it was blurred by Erica Swyler, who is the author of The Book of Speculation and Light from Other Stars. And she's just so excited about this book. She and I have very similar tastes. Like we like converse on Twitter. And very often she mentions books that she loved that I also loved. So I was like, well, if she loved this book, then I'm feeling good about it. So I didn't even read the description. And that was a really fun thing to do. So I'm going to try and tell you very little. I can't really tell you that much about it anyway, because there's this big plot point that it would spoil. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and hope that you find it as awesome as I did. So it's a great, fantastical novel, but it's also spooky and murdery and also a little romantic. And it has that thing that I think it was just last week that I was talking about it. That thing where it has like an opening couple of pages where something happens and you don't know what it was or you don't know who did it. And then you have to go back and like to in time or go ahead in time and get through all the stuff to find out like what it was that you just read. And I love that. And like I said, I can't tell you too much about it, but it's about the Cabot family. And it takes place in two time periods. It takes place in Paris in the 1920s and in Virginia at the beginning of the 21st century. There's a young woman, Laura Cabot. She, you just have to agree that they have magical abilities, these women in the Cabot family. They're not allowed to tell people about them. But at the beginning, we find out that Laura's getting married and she's like working some enchantments on her wedding dress, like changing a few things with some magic because she doesn't like how it turned out. And, you know, her mother's like scolding her like, you're not supposed to be using your magic. You know, but like, if you have magic, like, what a bummer if you can't use it, right? So she's getting married to a guy named Todd. He's her high school sweetheart. She's loved him forever. Her mother does not like Todd for reasons unknown. She's just always thought he wasn't good enough for Laura. And they've been together for such a long time. But now the day has finally arrived. They're getting married. And Todd doesn't show up for the wedding. So, of course, her mother's like, well, he's no good. And he stood you up. And you're better off without him. And she's like, I can't believe that he he ran away. But then they find his car abandoned on this creepy stretch of road that teenagers and adults alike just sort of stay away from in general especially at night for some reason like people don't even know anymore like why they're not supposed to drive on this stretch of road but they go out of their way not to pass through it they find his car abandoned on this stretch of road in the exact same spot where someone else disappeared 40 years earlier so laura doesn't know what to think there's no sign of a struggle there's no body there's no anything so you know maybe he just left his car there because she had never even heard the story about what happened 40 years earlier and after a long time she decides it's time to move on with her life 
She buys the radio station where she works. She has some inheritance from her grandmother. She buys a house. And her great-grandmother was the star of a circus. And she started her own circus, which folded like in the 1970s. But she finds her great-grandmother's journals. And she learns all these things about her great-grandmother that she didn't know. And they take place at this amazing circus in Paris in the 1920s. This book is full of surprises. Like, I was reading along and something happens at the radio station and, and I was like, what? What is happening? What? Like, what an unusual, fun detail. Like, this is so weird. I just loved it. It's a dark, delicious story of family and fate. If you like magical, inventive circuses, if you like sinister fairy tales, because it does get a little dark in places, if you like stories with lush details and mystery, this is the book for you. It is The Ladies of the Secret Circus by Constance Sayers. That sounds amazing. It's really fun. I was so delighted. Yeah. So for my first pick, I also have a book with some major creepiness. It is Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas. This book gets dark and not gonna lie, I was real anxious the whole time I read it. Content warnings for child abduction and violence against children, including gun violence. Wendy lives in a small coastal town in Oregon right at the edge of the woods, and Wendy is terrified of the woods, and with good reason. At the start of the book, it's her 18th birthday, and maybe five years since she was found alone in the woods. You see, six months prior to that, prior to her being found, she and her two younger brothers had gone missing, and only she turned back up. She remembers nothing except that the woods terrify her. So at the start of the book, on her birthday, another child has gone missing, and as you can imagine, anytime a child goes missing in this small town, the cops want to interrogate Wendy, who clearly has a lot of trauma around this in the first place. This makes two kids currently missing aside from her brothers lost years ago. Wendy's best friend named Jordan is a constant support in her life and the only one that Wendy can share things with. Lately, Wendy has been drawing things, not on purpose, just like sometimes if she has a pen in her hand to make a list or sign a receipt or take notes, she suddenly spaces out and when she gets her attention back, she sees that she has drawn a tree, like a big gnarly tree that she doesn't recognize and it's always the same tree. Or that she has drawn a boy, the same boy each time, an imaginary boy. Wendy's last name is Darling because, yes, you may have guessed it, this is a Peter Pan retelling, and it's creepy AF. Peter shows up, which is already a problem because he's not supposed to be real, and asks Wendy to once again help him find and reattach his shadow. The shadow has grown beyond only mischievous and is straight up evil. Peter believes the shadow has to do with the missing children. As usual, the adults are no help, and Wendy is going to have to face a lot of fears, including, yes, going back into the forest. Note, I was a child of the 80s, and Unsolved Mysteries premiered in 1987, and I was terrified of being kidnapped. Honestly, I'm still terrified of being kidnapped, so this book shot up my nerves for sure. It was really good, though, like, real good. It's Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas. I can't wait to read that one! Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Literally on the edge of my seat and like trembling, but I got through it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
I like Peter Pan, like the Disney movie was not was not one of my favorites as a kid. I did like the crocodile, but I wasn't like a big fan of the movie itself. But watching in the stage production, like when people are swinging across the stage, that's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like that Peter Pan story. And I know I've read there's like some other Peter Pan retellings coming and Brom did one. I've read a few, so I'm looking forward to it. And now for something completely different. <laughs> my next pick is There's No Such Thing as an Easy Job by Kikuko Sumura and translated by Polly Barton. This is a really fun novel. It's by Sumura, who is a Japanese writer. This is her first novel translated into English. The narrator, the star, is an unnamed 36-year-old woman who goes to an employment agency. She has just left her job of 10 years, and she wants a career change. And her requirements are that it's close to her home, and it requires no reading and no writing, and ideally very little thinking. She just wants a totally different job than what she had before. So her first job that she is given is a surveillance job. She has to watch this writer who is suspected of receiving and exchanging contraband, like bootleg DVDs, and then report on her findings. But watching someone pretty much all the time is exhausting. She's tired. It's just not for her. So she gets a new job. Her second job, she works creating advertising posters for buses. That, you know, she does that for a little while. She gets a third job working at a cracker factory. This was my favorite section. She's working at this cracker factory where she writes advice on rice cracker wrappers. Like, she has to come up with smart things to tell people to put on these wrappers. Uh, after that job, her fourth job, she gets uh, is applying posters to walls. And then her fifth job in this book, she's, you know, the other jobs just didn't work out for her. There's people around, you know, so she gets a job uh, living in a hut, basically, like, for no reason, living in a hut in the middle of this preserve. Except she's pretty sure there's someone else living out there in the forest with her. This book is very funny and smart and delightful. I didn't know what to expect, but I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really great how she wrote about how these jobs are not what you would expect them to be. And there's internal politics and there's infighting and there's just ridiculousness between her and her coworkers or between each other. Sometimes she's too good at her job. Sometimes she can't seem to do anything right. And it's a look at how, like, there are no small jobs and also the drudgery of work. It's a smart commentary about absurd situations, basically. I feel like the books got off to a slow start, but once it got going, it really breezed by. And I was actually even surprised to learn that it is a whopping 416 pages long. Um, If you liked Convenience Store Woman, I think this is a really great comp for that. It's called There's No Such Thing as an Easy Job by Kikuko Tsumura and translated by Polly Barton. You and your long books. I love a long book, (laughs) but I was surprised. Like, I read it, you know, in a PDF, so it doesn't tell you really, like, the real length. So I was like, looked it up, I was like, 416, woo! For my next book, I have Mixed Plate Chronicles of an All-American Combo by Joe Coy. Content warning for violent schizophrenia, child abuse, verbal and emotional abuse, and violence against a person with mental illness. Joe Coy is a household name in many Filipino-American homes. You may have not gleaned this from the content warnings, but Joe Coy is a stand-up comedian. 
That being said, if you, like me, have read many comedian memoirs, you know they can be real, real dark. Joe Coy describes his father as the poster boy for a white America. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York, he met Joe's mother while in the military and stationed overseas for the Vietnam War. Joe's mother was born and raised in the Philippines. She would travel around as business manager for Filipino bands that would go from military base to military base and give concerts. Joe talks about being a kid and growing up on different military bases with all kinds of other mixed kids as his family moved around until finally making a home in Tacoma, Washington. Joe also talks about the struggles of being an immigrant kid with a demanding mother and trying to fit into a place not necessarily known for its diversity, especially in the 80s. He writes about his and his family's relationship with his older brother, Robert, who has schizophrenia and refused to stay on treatment. It was super hard on the family because Robert was very violent and abusive. Eventually, Joe's parents got a divorce, mostly because of this. So then the stories shift to not only being stories about an immigrant kid who felt like he didn't fit in totally to either his parents' ethnicities, but then also as growing up with three siblings and a single mom and a father who is mostly absent. Woven through all of this is the constant thread of Joe's desperate desire to be a stand-up comedian. He was born in the early 70s, and he talks about listening to stand-up on cassette tapes, and then eventually convincing his mother to get HBO, which I know as a child of the 80s, that was our main source of stand-up comedy at the time. Joe was not good at school. He was terrible at driving, and he was the worst at holding down a job, but he didn't care because all he wanted was to be on stage. Of course, his mom wanted him to have a full-time desk job with benefits, and even at the end of the book, I'm not entirely convinced she's 100% behind his career, even though he's really successful. He definitely tells the story of how he finally got on stage, by bombing, getting on stage again, bombing again, and hustled hard to get to where he is. Sometimes when I read a memoir by a comedian, I feel a bit let down. It's full of heartbreaking stuff, and then on top of that, you can hear tell that their comedy is best behind a microphone and not necessarily in a book. This book, though, I laughed a lot, out loud, every chapter. There is definitely some really hard stuff that Joe goes through, but his humor shines through his writing. I'm happy that I read this book. It's Mixed Plate, Chronicles of an All-American Combo by Joe Coy. I remember watching comedy on HBO when we had HBO. There was so much, so many stand-up specials. There are stand-up specials I watched as a child that I can still like mouth all the words to when I watch them. Me too, and I'm I'm pretty sure that as like a four-year-old, I shouldn't have known the words to like Eddie Murphy's Raw or Delirious. Right? <laughs> I was thinking of that one. Yeah, there was like a Billy Connolly one that I absolutely loved, or Stephen Wright one. And then we got we got Comedy Central. Yeah. Like when Comedy Central aired, there was that show, Short Attention Span Theater, which is where Jon Stewart got his start. And we watched that every single night that it was on. And it was just comedy clip after comedy clip. And that was such a great show. I love that. People are like, what? It's like, it's all they had on Comedy Central was stand up before they started doing like original programming. So it was really fun. Exactly. Well, and then HBO also had like comic relief. Like there was like the ongoing comic relief show. Right. And then there was Deaf Comedy Jam. And like, yeah. It was really fun. Kids today's don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can just watch comedy on YouTube. (laughs) 
So I had a weird thing happen to me, and it isn't really decided if it's like because of the pandemic and and the switch in all my reading, but the majority of my reading uh, that I did in the last year was on a screen, almost entirely, all of it. And I started having problems with my eyes a few weeks ago. And so I had to go to the eye doctor and one of my eyes has decided it doesn't want to work like the other one. Uh, And I had to rest my eyes for a while, which was really hard and made my brain itch so much. I was like, I could be reading right now, but I'm not supposed to. So it was right around the time that I was supposed to be finishing some reading for the show. So I'm very sorry to tell you that I have not finished this next book. My eyes are better now. I have a new prescription. Uh, My right eye seems to want to get on board again. So that's good. But I have not. I just started this book, but it's really, really interesting. Uh, So forgive me for not having finished it, but it is When Women Invented Television, The Untold Story of the Female Powerhouses Who Pioneered the Way We Watch Today by Jennifer Keshen Armstrong. And it's about women who pretty much started television programming. It says women invented television. They're not talking about like the actual television sets. That was like a teenager, if I'm not mistaken. There was like like an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old who actually invented the television set. Um, But this is about uh, four specific women uh, working in television starting back in 1949. Uh, Here's something amazing for 1949 and kind of sad for now. Back in 1949, women accounted for 25% of the people working behind the scenes in television. And today, in 2021, women account for 25% of the people working behind the scenes in television. Uh, So nothing has changed there. And it's about these four women, specifically uh, Gertrude Berg, who was a radio star who decided she wanted to be in television. She wanted to take her act from radio to TV. Erna Phillips, who basically created daytime soaps. Uh, She came up with Guiding Light, which was a soap opera that ended like 10 or 12 years ago. It was the longest running scripted show ever. There's also Hazel Scott, who was a Trinidadian-born jazz and classical pianist, singer, and actor who had her own variety show. And Betty White. Yes, that Betty White. I did not realize how far back Betty White went in television, but she got her start as a daytime host. And she's known for just talking unscripted for like six hours a day or five hours a day, six days a week. Like they just gave her a show and said, talk about stuff. And that's what she did. And she was known for having like this really squeaky clean image. Um, And before she started acting in other things like, you know, Golden Girls and, and the things that we know her from. So it's really, really interesting. I love learning about a specific time period um, and, you know, things that I don't know about, which I think I've mentioned before is a lot. Um, it's just really interesting. So that is When Women Invented Television, The Untold Story of the Female Powerhouses Who Pioneered the Way We Watch Today by Jennifer Keshen Armstrong. Okay, Patricia. For my next book, I seem to have rekindled my love of poetry lately. And this is a poetry collection. It's called Please Come Off Book by Kevin Cantor. Content warnings for rape and child abuse and death and descriptions of sexual acts. This collection of poems is so freaking good. Do you like poetry? Do you like queer stuff? Do you like theater references, including Shakespeare references and Grecian play references? If so, this collection is all of that and more, and you'll probably love it as much as I do. Kevin Cantor is a trans non-binary poet and actor. This collection is an exploration and judgment of how gender is treated in theater and film and social media, and many of the poems are just brilliant. 
The second poem of the book has the following lengthy title. I'm not necessarily saying it means anything, but the two VHS tapes I wore out as a child were the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin and Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater Presents Pinocchio starring Paul Rubens. Like, that was, that was the whole title. I admit I'm completely enthralled with this poem because of my own biases, which revolve around many memories of watching both the Mary Martin Peter Pan, as Liberty and I discussed earlier, and also the fairy tale theater presents Pinocchio starring Paul Rubens. The way Cantor juxtaposes how gender is played in both of these productions like a grown woman playing a young boy, a grown man playing a young boy who isn't a real boy at all, is sincerely clever and thoughtful. The poem titled People You May Know is chilling, as they describe the subsequent click-throughs after their rapist shows up under the People You May Know tab on Facebook. Some of these poems left me staggering because the punchlines truly just felt like punches to the face, such as the poem titled A Short Play, and another titled, Dress Rehearsal, My Grandfather's Funeral. My favorite poem of the collection also has a long title, as follows. I am working a nine-month contract at a theater in Louisville and can't find a good therapist, so instead I go to the literary office and ask if there's a dramaturge available. I love it. I love that poem so much. Their poetry is great. Their pacing is great. The book is Please Come Off Book by Kevin Cantor. Okay. So for my last pick today, I'm going to do something a little different that I don't usually do. Uh, But while I was resting my eyes a couple weeks ago, uh, I thought, why not picture books? I love picture books. They're adorable. Um, I could probably spend all my money on picture books just because I love the illustrations and so many of them. (laughs) So I decided to read a couple of picture books for today. And I have a couple of good ones that I think you're going to love. They're so, they're so cute. They're, you know, Easter's coming up. You know, they make great gifts. They make great baby shower gifts. You know, like, good night, moon. Everybody gives good night, moon. Pick something else. You know, it's, it, these are amazing. <laughs> and so the first one is called Itty Bitty Kitty Corn by Shannon Hale and Lewin Pham, who is the illustrator who also illustrated the Princess Black books that uh, Shannon Hale wrote. And this one is about a little pink kitty who wants to be a unicorn. And so the kitty makes a horn, and the kitty's friends, Gecko and the parakeet, are like, you're not a unicorn. You still don't have any hooves. You don't have a tail. But like in like really snarky rhyming things. And so then the kitty tries, you know, like making a tail, and the Gecko and the parakeet are like, nope, it's not happening. And the kitty's feeling pretty, pretty down about it, and tries and tries because they want to be a unicorn. And then... A unicorn shows up and the kitty and the unicorn learn that they have a lot in common. It's super adorable. It has really funny illustrations in the end pages, in the in the front and the back. And the kitty also looks like like Yzma from The Emperor's New Groove. Like at the end when she gets turned into the cat, she's like, ah ha ha, I win. That kitty. So I think that also endeared it to me. It's just adorable. So that one is Itty Bitty Kitty Corn by Shannon Hale and Lewin Pham. And then the other one that I loved is called Something's Wrong, A Bear, A Hair, and Some Underwear by Jory John and Aaron Cran, who is the illustrator. A hair as in H-A-R-E, the rabbit. A bear, a hair, and some underwear. And it's about a bear. And bear is going about his day. But he feels like something is different. He feels like he's forgetting something. But, you know, no big deal. So he leaves the house. And everyone's like, ah, because bear is wearing underwear. And people are 
first of all, Bear, why do you have to wear underwear? Like, you have fur. None of us wear clothing. Why do you have underwear on? And he's like, oh, my grandma gave them to me. So the forest animals are just scandalized and shocked because there's a bear in underwear. But in the end, they all work it out. It's all cool. It's so funny. The faces on the animals when they see the bear in his underwear are very funny. I, I love the illustrations. So that one is called Something's Wrong. A Bear, a Hair, and Some Underwear by Jory John and Aaron Cran. So those are my picks. And before we hear Patricia's last pick, we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon-worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today, and it's the fifth book in the series, so make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, what do you have for us? For my last pick, this is, oh, this book is so good. I'm so excited to share it with everyone. It's Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself by Nedra Glover Tawab. This book actually came out on March 16th, but I have to tell you all about it. I mentioned this book on our December show as one of the books I was most excited about coming out in 2021, and friends, it does not disappoint. If I had more money, I would buy a copy for everyone I know, and everyone listening to this show, and everyone I cross paths with on the street because everyone needs to read this book. Nedra Tawab is a therapist, content creator, and expert at boundaries. I got myself a physical copy to highlight, but I'm highlighting almost every single sentence in this book. It's going to be one of the few books I reread annually. This book isn't only like, hey, boundaries are healthy and they make for healthy relationships, which is true, 
But there is also some concrete advice down to what words to say and how to say them when drawing boundaries. So many of us don't draw boundaries out of fear. Fear that we will appear mean by drawing boundaries, fear of the guilt that comes with drawing boundaries, fear that drawing boundaries will end a relationship, fear that we don't deserve to have boundaries with a certain person or people like our parents. And she addresses all of this in detail. I am pretty good at boundaries, but could definitely use some improvement in certain areas. When the author is asked how to draw boundaries without feeling guilty, her answer broke my brain. Because her answer is, you don't. Guilt is part of it. So here are some solid ways to manage the guilt that always comes with drawing boundaries. Like, what? My guilt isn't just me being weak and this is normal? It's, it's so good. This book is divided into two parts. The first part is on understanding the importance of boundaries, like what are they, what's the cost of not having boundaries, the six types of boundaries, and more. One of my favorite chapters of this section is on what a boundary violation looks like. It feels weird to say favorite because I was in a full body cringe reading about guilt trips. I grew up in the Catholic Church and I am an expert on being on the receiving end of guilt trips. The second part of the book is some solid advice on how to do the boundary work in your own life. There are just so many gems in this book, and I have to share, I know I'm on the right track in life because the author quotes someone who was one of my trainees when I used to teach about sex ed and communication skills, and who I've talked about in my own newsletter, so I feel like I've been waiting my whole life for this book, and I'm on the right track. It's just so good. It's Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself by Nedra Glover-Tawab. All right. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I am reading Remote Work Revolution Succeeding from Anywhere by Tzedal Neely. All right. I am finishing Matrix by Lauren Groff, which is her new novel that comes out in September. Different than her other books, this is a historical novel. And then I'm going to read Schwet by Claire Oshetsky, which is something that I've been waiting to get my hands on because it's about a lady who gives birth to a baby owl, which what? is actually what Schwet, Schwet is the French word for little owl. So yeah, I'm excited about that one. Now we are going to answer listener questions. I'm going to ask you this question. Patricia, uh, all of the hosts have answered this question. Chantal wants to know what the hosts do for jobs. And if you work other jobs other than at Book Riot, what are they? Yes, I do work a full-time day job. I work in nonprofit fundraising at a university. And so that's what I do for eight hours a day. And then I take a break and then I write and write and write. And then I also read and do book riot stuff. All right. Kendra wants to know, what is the nerdiest podcast you listen to? So full disclosure, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but there are two podcasts. One is actually complete. I think it was maybe only 12 shows which is Home Cooking by Samin Nosrat and Harishi Hirway. And that started during the first part of lockdown. And they nerd out about like what to cook in your pantry. And it's just a nerdy food show. And I love it. And the other podcast that I am obsessed with right now is Maintenance Phase. And one of the hosts is Aubrey Gordon, who wrote What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. How about you? 
I would like to tell you something awesome, but I don't listen to podcasts because I just spend all my time reading. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I used to go to acupuncture, I would listen to My Favorite Murder um, and Pop Culture Happy Hour, which both of which I enjoyed quite a bit. But um, I would like to listen to podcasts more. I just, I'm always reading a book. I don't put a lot of things in my ears, just in my eyes, I guess. I don't know. Next question. Cassie would like to know where our favorite places are to get stickers and bookmarks. I saved this question for you because <laughs> you, like me, yes. are sticker wild. Absolutely. Okay. I have, I have like my top four. So Mrs. Grossman's, which has been around since, I think it's been around yeah. since 1979. Mm -hmm. And it is the, like, I'm, biased because the factory is driving distance from where I live and I got to tour the factory and also braggart yeah like I got to tour the sticker factory it smelled like glue <laughs> 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 I came out really high but it's also the remaining like it's the last operating sticker factory in the U.S. I think wow and um I love pip sticks they have a subscription service I get a lot of stickers from Society6, and there is also a Black creator who does stickers for a shop called Self Love Tool Chest. I will get stickers wherever I can, but <laughs> mostly, you know, I get them online. Redbubble and Tee Public are two of the places I get a lot of my stickers. Etsy has great stickers. Most recently, I got a bunch from an Etsy artist called The Sticker Coven, which I really enjoyed. Ooh. And then I get a ton of bookish ones from all these different book sites. Most recently, Inkwell Threads, who I also got a When Harry Met Sally t-shirt from the other day, which is about, like, he's like, this is a dark side, that, that whole quote about, like, you know, when I get a book, I read the last page in case I die you know, before I finish <laughs> the book. That is a dark side. That I got that shirt. And then there's Bookshelf Tees, who I have bought like 8 million t-shirts from. Uh, they also do great stickers. So that's mostly where I get mine. Nice. I love Mrs. Grossman's. And I, what I love about Mrs. Grossman's is that you can still get like the same ones that I got when I was a kid. Like the bears and the flowers and the hearts. And, and the big red heart, which was her first yep. sticker, apparently. Yep. Yeah. That's so great. So Lauren would like to know, do we have a favorite sport and do we play... And or do we play a sport? You want to go first on that one or you want me to go first? Well, surprisingly, you know, just kidding, not surprising at all. Uh, I don't play any sports. I did when I was a kid and I hated it. My parents insisted that I play softball. So when I was nine, they signed me up for softball and my dad was the coach and I didn't want to play. And turns out I was really good at it. I have I have a wicked arm. Like even today, like I'll, you know, like throw something in the backyard and my husband is like, wow. I'm like, yeah, I have a really great arm. And also I was pretty good, but like I would hit at pitches that were way I was really short when I was when I was little. And I would hit at these pitches so that like the bat was like straight up over my head. I was holding it like, you know, Luke Skywalker in the poster um, with his lightsaber, like straight. Over, and I would hit them and they would go very far and no one could believe it. You know, least of all me. I was like, I just wanted to get struck out. Like, I didn't care, you know, but I would just swing at these things. But I hated it. Also, I was really mad because my lucky number is 18 and I wanted to be number 18 and this other girl wanted it. My dad told me that I had to let her have it. So... I had to be a different number, and I was pretty mad about that. But finally, after like three years, they moved me to pitching, and I got hit in the sternum with a line drive, 
and I did not want to get in front of a ball ever again. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, fair. That's fair. So I was like done. I just I would like sit down in the outfield and just not play. So they made they made it so I didn't have to. Um, and I don't have a favorite sport now, but I still am obsessed with Larry Bird. Uh, I'm very excited because Dan Shaughnessy has a Larry Bird biography coming out in November. Ooh. I cannot wait for that. But other than that, I don't really watch any sports. So how about you? I come from like both sides of my family are very sports loving sides of the family. And my grandpa was like a boxer and my dad was like captain of the tennis team in college. My mom played softball, like all these things. And I'm just like, meh. When I was a kid, I ran track. I ran track for my elementary and junior high, and I ran track for the city I grew up in, and I also played basketball. I was the only girl on the boys' team in sixth grade because I wanted to play basketball, and they didn't have a girls' team, so I was like, well, I'm playing. And then I was just like, eh, done running track. I never want to run again unless, like, you're being chased. A dinosaur is chasing me. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't played this sport in a while, but I still have my archery equipment and I would love to get back out to an archery range when, when you know, a few more people are vaccinated. Not that you're usually around a lot of people um, shooting arrows, but I think archery is probably my favorite sport now. I would like to do archery, but uh, as my husband said to me when I asked for a trampoline this weekend, uh, you can't even make it through the day without falling down just walking through the house. So I don't think that, that <laughs> me with a crossbow is a, is a good idea. So it's true, though. Aspirational. <laughs> uh, Maeve would like to know, would you ever write a book? I guess we could also add, ha or have you ever written a book? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Have you written a book? I have not written a book. I have had some pieces that are published in books. And like I said, after my day job, I take a break and then I write and write and write. And that's mostly my newsletter, which I hope to turn into a book someday. So I think my answer is I haven't yet, but someday I intend to. I would like to write a book, but I have nothing. I have no ideas, and it's not going to happen. I just think it seems like fun, although I'm sure a lot of writers would disagree, especially like, you know, right now when it seems almost impossible to, to get it out there and get any notice right now. Um, but like, like really, I'm, I'm, I have nothing. One time I woke up and I wrote like 3,000 words that seemed like the beginning of a chapter. I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> they just burst forth from I'm you. I'm <laughs> not even kidding. That's almost exactly like what happened. I woke up in the morning and I said... I need to write this down. And I typed out like 3,000 words. That was like the start of something. And then I had nothing else. And that was it. And that was like seven or eight years ago. And then I lost it at some point. So I don't think I will ever write a book. But that's okay. I just like to read books. It's, I'm totally fine being that person. I am a book cheerleader. I'm happy to, you know, I'm a book fluffer. I'm happy to do that for other people. You know, so it's fine with me. Um, we have a couple more questions. I'll try to answer them quickly. The first one is from Tracy. Liberty, I know you don't like to talk about the books that were not for you on the show or that you did not finish, but is there somewhere or any way to find out about books you started and didn't finish or read that you were just not crazy about, especially thrillers or mysteries and darker side stuff? I feel your taste in mine line up on this genre. And there are so many on my TBR that I would love to be able to move to the bottom and not waste my time. I'm really sorry, Tracy, but there is no place that I write those down. And I just, I don't know, I don't like talking about them. Because, you know, it just didn't work for me. And I feel like people tried really hard 
I mean, I'm not talking about books like I read them and I'm like, well, that's racist or that's, you know, a problem. I'm not talking about those kind of books. Like, I have no problem saying, like, calling those out. But, like, if I just didn't like a book, you know, these these people tried really hard and they worked on it and I feel bad, like, you know, it, it might work for someone else. You know, on occasion, I will let things slip that just, you know, there are a few books coming up in the next month that I just thought were so ridiculous. Um, but everyone seems to love them. So just just right there, you know, it's just me. It has to be me. Um, so I'm very sorry I disappoint you, Tracy, but there is nowhere that I write these down. Maybe I should start like a secret Goodreads account and just do like all <laughs> books that I, you know, I, I read. The other thing is that I read almost everything. Even when I don't like it, I still finish it because I'm like, what if, you know, something changes at the end? So I'm sorry to disappoint you. I've definitely had books where I read it and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then the end, I'm like, oh, no, it went a horrible yeah. direction. Yeah. But I feel that way about a lot of books, even books that I loved. I think the ending must be the hardest part to write because I feel like a lot of times you're just like, ugh, but the end, so. Um, and the last question is from Stephanie Liberty. Thinking back to the outset of the podcast, how is it like you expected and how is it different? I could say the only thing that I expected from this podcast was that I would be talking about books into a microphone. Other than that, I had no expectations. I had never even listened to a podcast when we started doing this. Um, it'll be our five-year anniversary in May, uh, and, and I had no idea. I never guessed it would be as big as it is. You know, when they give us the numbers, I'm like, seriously? What? So excited. It's it's amazing. And I've met so many amazing people. I've learned so much from the incredible co-hosts and the incredible listeners. I did think that I would get over being nervous, but that is not a thing that has happened. I remember the first time that we recorded, I had these actual spots where I just stopped talking and couldn't seem to say anything. And Rebecca was just like, it's okay. Take your time. When you're ready. You know, there was a lot of editing of those in the first few episodes. And I was just like covered in sweat. And she's like, it'll get easier as you go along. And lies. It's a lie. I am <laughs> uh, covered in sweat right now talking about this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a secret. Uh, the last episode I recorded with Tirza, I was in my underwear by the end of the show uh, recording in my office because I was just covered, like so nervous. I don't Strip know why it podcasting. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I took off all my clothes because I was like, I'm too hot and we're in the middle of a show and I don't know what to do. So it just, yeah, I don't know why I get like that. I don't have a problem speaking in front of people anymore, but for some reason, I'm just so excited to talk to all of you, and I want to tell you good things, and I guess that makes me nervous. I don't know. But I'm so appreciative of everyone out there, and of you, Patricia, and of everyone else who has joined me on this show, and that is going to be it for us today. Patricia, thanks for answering questions. You know, thanks for sitting for the grilling. Of course. I'm so happy to be on the 303rd show and just to be doing this show with you. Yay. And stickers. And Sticker stickers. <laughs> yeah. So thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. That's T-H-E-I-N-F-O-P-H-I-L-E. I mostly hang out on Friends and Comes Alive, or at Friends and Comes Alive on Instagram, not at that. 
Oh, that is my website name too. But <laughs> And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.